session with uh, international prayer. <clears throat> Pardon my voice. We're going to have international prayer. You say, what does that mean? We're all going to pray out loud and thank God for five things. I want you to open your mouth. The Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. The Bible says, lift up your voice, O ye people. So I want us to have international prayer. I want you to pray out loud. I know this may be a little different for some of us, but... This is North Carolina-style praying, all right? We're going to have international prayer. I want you to thank God out loud for five things, and then we'll get into our message. Let's pray together, please. You pray out loud, thanking God for five things. Father, thank you today for this wonderful, wonderful uh, college. Thank you, God, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gift of the eternal life. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for every teachable heart. Thank you for this ministry and what it stands for. Thank you for all your blessings. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we got so much to be thankful for. God, they lifted up their voice with one accord in prayer. And Father, we're thankful we can do that today. We anticipate blessing. We say thank you up front in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Did anybody not get a, another three-by-five card? Lift your hand if you did not get one. All right, we got a couple here. Can we have a couple of ushers? And we just want everybody to get one of these cards. Just hold your hands up way high. Wave your hands around. Jesse needs help to detect you. All right. All right. So everybody, keep your hands up. <clears throat> also, we're not going to hand these out, but on your way out, uh, pick up one of these little uh, cards, the Believer's Autobiography. The Believer's Autobiography, Scriptural Confessions of an Overcomer. You know, we got to move from confessing sin to confessing the truth as it is in Jesus. So this will help, help along that line. And then here's a, a little uh, handout. You can pick that up as you leave if you like. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go a little further on this subject of vision, which is so vital and so important. We've already heard one message from Brother Zempel that was uh, stellar on the subject of vision. But this morning we want to go a little further with this and perhaps help clarify uh, your life assignment. Now it says in the book of Habakkuk, The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain. Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. God told the prophet Habakkuk to write the vision and make it plain. And I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of vision. When I speak about vision, I'm talking about your life mission. And I believe that Joseph is an excellent case study when it comes to the subject of vision. Joseph was an exceptional young man. He had a mission from God, and so do you. Uh, Joseph had a calling from God, and so do you. Joseph was tempted and tried, and you will be too. As you study the life of Joseph, I mean, 25% of the book of Genesis is devoted uh, to him. God only took three, three chapters to tell us about the creation of the universe, but 25% of the book of Genesis to talk about this man, it must be significant. Now, Joseph was obligated to his father. He was opposed to evil, and he was obedient to God. But from ages 18 to 30, very little went right for Joseph from a human perspective. So let's break in in Genesis chapter 37 and just pick up on a few points right here. Genesis chapter 37 and verse 3. Genesis chapter 37 and verse 3.
Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Not good. Because he was the son of his old age, and he made him, made him a coat of many colors. And as when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Genesis 37, verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shall thou indeed reign over us? Or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed uh, come to bow ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Now Joseph had a God-given dream. This was not a daydream, a wishful desire. This was not a night dream, a product of his subconscious or a figment of his imagination. No, no, Joseph had a God-given dream that foretold of his future and gave him purpose. At the very outset, Joseph was given a, a glimpse of his destiny. And I think we can learn much about the power of vision from the life of Joseph. And I want to give you three things, three basic things about vision from the life of Joseph. Number one, vision is God-given. Vision is God-given. You don't decide your vision, you discover your vision. You don't decide your assignment, you discover your assignment. And vision is God-given. Sight is a function of the eyes, but vision is a function of the heart. And God gave Joseph this vision about his father's and brother's sheaves bowing down and doing obeisance before his sheaf. His brothers despised him. His father rebuked him. But Joseph's vision came in the form of things he was familiar with. But who could deny it was a strange, a strange dream? I mean, these sheets falling down, bowing down, doing, doing obeisance, a very strange dream indeed. Now, let me say, you might not totally comprehend your vision yourself at the outset. You're not going to get the full picture in one visit with God. God's more interested in a relationship than he is in an event. And when God gives his servants information, uh, it, it comes at one paragraph at a time and not a chapter at a time. Now Joseph had this dream and he blabbed his dream to his father and brothers, I mean, he had no idea of what he was going to go through. He had no idea of how God might bring these details to pass. But he spoke what he had seen. Uh, he verbalized his dream. Remember how God called to Moses to deliver the Israelites from Egypt? He had no conception uh, of the means that God might use uh, to deliver his, his, his people Israel. So what did Moses do? He, go out, he went out and slew an Egyptian. He went out and killed a guy. Now, he might not have done the right thing, but he did something. And God directed him the rest of the way. 
Moses was moving in accordance with his mission, and the Lord directed him to the desert for 40 years so he could learn the ways of God. Let me say that others may not appreciate your vision. Others may not appreciate your vision. Anything out of the frame of our own reference is, uh, is suspect, especially in conservative circles. I mean, anything that is, that is just a little, little different, you know. Now, let me talk to you here from my heart. Joseph's brothers, when they heard about this dream that he had had, uh, uh, they were incensed when they thought they were going to have to be subjected to their brother. They were intimidated by his dreams. They were infuriated by his dreams. They were agitated by his dreams. And they said one time, Behold, the dreamer cometh. They were mocking him. And they said, Come now, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast and it devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. Man, they were plotting to kill their own brother. They despised him. Now, his father was very, very upset. Let me say that other people may not comprehend your vision. Jesus came unto his own, but his own received him not. They, they, it was outside of their frame of reference. He was rejected by his own people. And the people who have impacted their world are the people who have declared independence from other people's expectations. I want to tell you that God had a purpose for you before anybody else had an opinion. And, and some of us have been bound in the fear of man to the point where we limit God on every point. I'm just telling you, God will never tell you to do something that's unscriptural or, 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 or biblically wrong. But I want to tell you, he might tell you to do something that's different. And others might not appreciate your vision. Vision comes from God. Vision is something that God births in your heart. Now, you need to identify your motivated interest. You've got to identify your motivated interest. You're here at Baptist School of Ministry, and that tells me something about you, that something has captivated your heart. What is it that you're passionate about? What do you think about at night when you're laying in your bed? I just wonder, what is your dream? Have you ever wanted something so bad you could almost taste it? Have you ever had that kind of, a, that kind of a insatiable desire? You know, everybody's looking for the will of God everywhere except in their own hearts. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, listen, when you're spirit-filled, you can discern the will of God through your sanctified desires. You need to pay attention to your desires. I'm telling you, when you're under the control of God's Spirit, you can navigate the will of God through your sanctified desires. Now, vision is different from ambition. Vision is very different from ambition because ambition typically benefits self, but vision always benefits others. And God-given vision will, is never self-promoting. It always promotes other people. Now, let me give you some definitions of vision that might help clarify what we're talking about. Listen, uh, listen to a few of these right here. Yes, vision is a bridge from the past to the future. That's how you're going to get to the future is through vision. Number two, vision is the eye of faith to see the invisible and the decisiveness to make it visible. Number three, vision is that power that causes people to make huge sacrifices in order to become all they can become for God. Vision is that clear mental image of a preferable future. 
Vision is that clear mental image of a preferable future imparted by God to his chosen servants and is based upon an accurate understanding of God, self, and circumstances. You know, things just don't happen. Baptist School of Ministry just didn't fall out of the sky. <laughs> there was a vision uh, for this. Now, it's something God does. Vision is adopting an action plan that will enable you to move forward in your Christian life and ministry. What is vision? Vision is that inward fire that enables you to boldly communicate to your peers what the future is going to be like. Vision is the dynamite that enables you to translate your faith into dreams. Your faith and dreams into, new, into a new and personal walk with God, the Christ walk. Look, this is everything. Get in the closet, shut the door, you'll know the heart and mind of God. You're going to have some difficulties, you're going to have some trials, you're going to have some setbacks, you're going to have some opposition, you're going to have some attacks. Yeah, all of that is true, but I want to tell you what, God's greater than all of the things that are in the world. Now listen to this. Vision is the God-given energy which will make you become a risk taker. Vision is that God-given energy which will make you to become a risk taker. And vision is that moral obligation that mandates your behavior in accordance with God's will. Now let me tell you something. Great gains require great risk. Now, uh, you can play it safe. You can play it safe and never do much. Or... You can pursue your dream. And I'm here to tell you that Joseph had a vision and it came from God. Vision is God-given. Number two, vision gets you through the fire. Vision gets you through the fire. God destined Joseph for a place of great responsibility, great influence, and great power. And few things will develop character as much as adversity. As much as adversity. Now, Joseph had to be put on the potter's wheel. He had pressure within, he had pressure from without, and he had two tremendous furnace experiences. And the first was, two fiery trials, the first was with his brothers, his family members. Now, his brothers had evil thoughts about him. His brother, brothers spoke evil words about him, and his brothers committed evil acts against him. They conspired to kill him. And I want to tell you, when your own family wants to put you to death, you have a major public relations problem going on. <laughs> now, uh, they stripped him of his coat, they shoved him in a pit, and they sold him into slavery. Joseph lost everything that was precious to him. He lost his father. He lost his family. He lost everything with which he was familiar. He lost his freedom, a tremendous trial within his own home. But there was a second fiery trial, and that was with Potiphar's wife. We all know the story. I mean, there's no question but what this was a very beautiful woman. I mean, she never would uh, have showed up in uh, our lifetime on the extreme makeover program. I, I mean, this was a very beautiful woman. People like Potiphar got the best looking women in the kingdom during those days. And we already hear in the Bible how that she came on to Joseph and attempted to seduce him. So Joseph went through seasons of difficulty and extreme, extreme adversity. And the Bible says if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. 
And I want to say there's always the possibility of losing heart during, during hard times. Joseph went through years of suffering, silence, and seclusion. And it took a long time before his dream was realized, before he got exalted in Egypt. But he kept the focus, and he never lost his dream. Can I encourage you this morning? Don't let the hard times strip you of your dream. His brothers put him in a pit. His boss put him in a prison for over 12 years. But Joseph went from the pit to the prison to the palace because he never allowed a root of bitterness to spring up in his heart. And when you're going through the difficulty, I'm just going to tell you, uh, it's your vision that will keep you going. Vision imparts power, purpose, and perseverance. You know, it was his integrity and industry that uh, caused him to be put in charge of the prison, but it was his dream that sustained him. It was his hope for a better day that kept him going. Andrew Bonner said, we've gotten more from Paul's time in prison than we did from his trip to the third heaven. You know, Paul had those exalting revelations and got caught up into the third heaven, but we benefited more from his time in prison because that's where he wrote these epistles. And I want to say that it's the fire in your heart it's the fire in your bones that will conquer the fiery trials you face on earth. Can I tell you something? You're going to go through hard times. <laughs> I'm old enough now where I've got a few things figured out. Only takes about six decades to figure things out, you know. And, and I've come to realize that some of you are going to have health issues. Okay? You're going to, some of you are going to have cancer. I'm not, I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just telling you that fiery trials will come. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. And when, when, when you run into a crisis, when you come into a season of difficulty, you got to put it in perspective. And I'm telling you, if you've got the fire in your heart, you can keep on going. Thomas Brooks said, a man full of hope will be full of action. A man full of hope will be full of action. It keeps you going. Peter didn't do everything right. But you know, Jesus birthed hope in Peter by giving him a mental photograph of his future victories. You know what Jesus said to Peter? He said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's the fire in your heart that gets you through the fiery trials. I heard about two, two twins, two twins, and one was very optimistic, and the other was very depressed. So the parents took the twin boys to a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist took the optimist and put him in a room full of horse manure. And they took the depressed boy and put him in a room full of brand new toys. Well, the psychiatrist went back to check on him, and he went to check on the boy, the depressed boy, in the room full of brand new toys, and he found him crying. And he asked him, he said, why are you crying? And the depressed kid, he said, I'm, I'm afraid I might break one of the toys. So then the psychiatrist went to the optimistic boy's room, and there he was, uh, having the time of his life, throwing the horse manure, shuffling it around in the room, having a big time. And he asked the boy why he was having such a good time. And the optimist said, well, with all this manure in here, there's got to be a pony around here somewhere. <laughs> Don't you like that? Don't you like to get around positive people? Amen. Biblically positive people. Listen, you can't change your race. 
By the way, I got a call from Duke University and the lady wanted to interview me and she says, uh, she says, uh, uh, Mr. Vaughn, uh, what would you consider your ethnicity to be at birth? I said, well, it's very interesting. I just had an ethnicity change two months ago. <laughs> I went to NIH. I went to NIH, the National Institutes of Health. The lady said, Mr. Vaughn, what was your gender at birth? I said, what? <laughs> what was your gender at birth? And I said, I thought, I thought, man, if she has to ask a question like that, this is a bad sign. But I said, don't ask me any more stupid government questions. <laughs> New York State has 32 gender identities on their forms, 32 gender identities. I'm just here to tell you, there's a male and female, and that's all there is to it. But I, I mean, we're very confused. And now, now listen, um, I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, <laughs> let me find Oh, I know what it is. You better keep the fire in your heart or you'll become morally insane like everybody else if you don't watch it. <laughs> now, your goals will help you persevere. Are you with me on this? Vision gets you through the fire. But listen to this one. Vision determines your destiny. Vision determines your destiny. It was Joseph's vision that carried him through the hard times. Philip Brooks said this. He said, sad will be the day. Sad will be the day for any man when he becomes satisfied with the life he is living and with the thoughts he is thinking and the deeds he is doing. When there is not beating at the doors of his soul a desire to do something greater, which he knows he was meant to do because he is a child of God. I'll tell you what, I know a bunch of old people that have young hearts and I know a bunch of young people that have old hearts. And if you, if, if you have lost the youthful optimism in God's name, get along with God and let him put a fire in your heart. And I'm just here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, where you are tomorrow depends about, upon what you're dreaming about today. Your dominating thoughts will determine your destiny. Helen Keller was born blind and deaf. Can you imagine? Somebody asked her if she could imagine anything worse than not having sight. And Helen Keller said, yes, having sight but no vision having sight but no vision. Now, God gave Joseph a vision of his ultimate destiny when he was young. And vision is when God shows you what the goal is, and then you can begin becoming what God says you already are. Learn to walk on the edge of your potential. Uh, listen, people who, who know where they're going intimidate people who are drifting through life. And scores of people are just drifting through life. Hallelujah, there's no Bernie Sanders voters here in Baptist School of Ministry. I'm just telling you, this is just wanting a handout and doing nothing and being nothing and starbucking it all the time. And brother, I mean, there's got to be more to it than this. <laughs> you know, the only way to avoid criticism is to do nothing, have nothing, and be nothing. People are going to criticize anybody that's making a mark for God. That's not a bad sign. That's okay. Somebody said, criticism is the death gargle of a non-achiever. Criticism is the death rattle of a non-achiever. And I'm telling you, I am absolutely sick, 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 sick of the endless critiques and analyzations 
and criticism of God's choice servants because there's some personal preference difference. To his own master he standeth the falleth. Who you are do you think you judge another man's servant? You know, sometimes we need to zip our lip and just hallelujah for the good points and keep on moving and do what God told us to do and don't make a career out of becoming a witch hunter. It's really good preaching here this morning. Now, let, 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 me, let, me, let me give some practical pointers on vision. <laughs> Number one, your vision determines your future. Your vision determines your future. You will never gain momentum moving toward tomorrow if you're dragging your past behind you. When you're bound to your past, you're blind to the future. But vision can set you free from the regrets of yesterday. Some of you sitting here have made colossal mistakes in life. Can I just say this to you? Welcome to the human race. Don't think you're the only one that's ever made some poor decisions. You've got to get beyond the grief, the guilt, and the garbage of yesterday. You've got to, you've got to put those negative things out of your mind. Don't let negative events be the defining feature in your life. Joseph could have spent his whole life focusing on what his brothers did. He could have opted out to become a career victim. He could have uh, mulled over and, uh, how unfair life had been to him, but he went from the pit to the palace by the grace of God. When Joseph's brothers arrived in Egypt, and oh, they were full of guilt. And oh, Joseph, had the, he had the right look. He said, boy, you, you boys meant it for evil, but God meant this whole thing for good. I'm telling you, having a future look will give you victory over your past. And by the way, uh, God has put your past behind him. It's time for you to put it behind you. Did you hear what I said? God has put your past behind him. It's time for you to put it behind you. And you just move right on. Now listen, your vision governs your future. Number two, your vision determines your associations. Your vision determines your associations. If you have a vision, you won't, have, you won't let the people who are going nowhere uh, take you with them. And when you hang around with people who are drifting, they want you to go along. Let your destination determine your company. Let me tell you something. You can outgrow your friends. You can outgrow your friends. You were born into the family you got born into, but you get to choose your friends. And a companion of wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. The law of association states you're going to become like the people you hang around with. I like to get around people that's full of Jesus, man. I like to get around people that's full of faith. It's so hard to find people full of faith, brother. I'm just telling you, you know, you show up for these revival meetings and... Oh, man. Well, brother, you know, and the pastor's so discouraged. And, 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 you know, I have to go over and listen to some tape of music and get my heart excited before I go. Somebody said, how do you go to these dead churches sometimes and preach? I said, I go over to the trailer. I get hyped up on some revival music, what I like, and uh, I get all wound up. And then I go over and unleash it. And then I run back to the trailer to get a second dose. Amen. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is sometimes. But, but you know, you've got to get around people who's believing God. I'm thrilled to be in a place like this. Every relationship will take you toward your dreams or away from them. You've got to qualify the people you allow into the arena of your inner life. You've got to qualify them. Show me your friends and I will show you, the, show you your future. When you're with the wrong people, the worst part will come out of you and the best part will die. But when you're with the right people, the best part will come out of you and the worst part of you will die. Brother Flanders, how old are you, brother? He just turned 69. Here's a man, here's a man, 69, 
which is not looking that old to me anymore, but 69 who still got the fire. Now I like to get around a guy like that. I met J. Harold Smith, pastor, before he died. He was 86. He preached one sermon, had a million and a half people profess faith in Christ. His hair was, he looked like Moses. He looked like Santa Claus. He took me out to Kentucky Fried Chicken. They lost money on the buffet with us. But uh, <laughs> he, he told me that he was, felt like he was losing his memory. And he kind of stumbled in his sermon every now and then. But you know the thing I noticed about him? He still had the fire. Still had the fire. Man, I was in a church and the pastor said, you see that guy? He's 91 years old. You know, when you get to be 91, <laughs> you're not as nimble as you once were, you know. <laughs> kind of like Lurch, you know. And, and he said, you know, you see that guy? He says he's downtown passing out gospel tracts every week of his life. Still got the fire. I got some friends, revival men. They're probably 85, I don't know. Talk, talk to him on the telephone, you would, talk, you would think you were talking to a 15-year-old. Youthful enthusiasm. And I'm just here to tell you that, brethren, you got to get around the right kind of people. And sometimes what you're willing to walk away from will determine what God is able to bring you to. And if you've got a wrong relationship with somebody that's not going to serve the Lord. Uh, you, but by the way, there's no such thing as missionary dating, Right? <laughs> I mean, find somebody that's more like Jesus than you are <laughs> and uh, investigate that. I told my children, I said, no, boys, I don't believe in dating. <laughs> I said, uh, you know, you ought to find the right one. And when the time comes, go for it. And all three of them went for it. <laughs> Amen. And when the time comes, go for it. Now, your association, then num number next, your vision will determine how you spend your time. There's 24 hours in every day. And vision will determine what's in your library. Vision will determine what you watch via media. Vision will determine how long you sit in front of your computer. You can do something, but you can't do everything. Uh, you can be a jack of all trades, master of none. Or you can be a jack of one trade, master of one. Find out what you're supposed to be doing and put your heart into that thing. This one thing I do. You've got to determine your purpose in life and dedicate yourself to, to it. Why are you here? I mean, for what purpose were you created? Vision will determine how you spend your time. Then vision will determine your duty. Vision determines your duty. Ben Sabner said the vision must be followed by the venture. The vision must be followed by the venture. It's not enough to stare up the steps. We must step up the stairs. Now, when you get the overarching life purpose, the mission, the goal, then you take practical steps to get there. Destiny requires diligence. Say that out loud. Destiny requires diligence. Follow your dreams. Well, you, you, know, you know, don't move away from the essence of what God made you to do. Discern your gifts. Determine your calling. And whatever you're gifted to do is what you ought to be doing. I mean, what do you do naturally that, that causes others uh, great benefit? Now, let me tell you, you can go anywhere you want to go if you're willing to take enough small steps. And your, your, your assignment will be revealed progressively. Okay? At the first, you have this sense of calling, this sense of mission, but it, it's revealed progressively. And you're obligated to fulfill the reason that God put you on the planet. 
Uh, when you know what your assignment is from God, there's a natural flow of enthusiasm that will, that will emanate from your soul and will draw other people around you. Why do people come to this college? Because they sense a purpose. They sense an overarching vision. They sense a destiny as far as preparing people for the spiritual life. Keep it simple, brethren. It's not so complex. You ever notice how some of these theologians can, can, can complicate the simplest thing? Like, just trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And by staying focused, you're going to be drawing people to yourself like a magnet. Now, listen to me. Somebody is always evaluating your progress, your pursuits, and your potential. And people who are obsessed with their assignment attract others to assist and enable them to complete their assignment. Now listen, God, it's a God-given dream. When you, get, when you get your dream from God, your vision from God, go for it. Go for broke. <laughs> I mean, embrace it. Believe it. Uh, confess it. Habakkuk said, write the vision and make it plain. Document your vision. I've only been challenged, I think, maybe once or twice in my entire life to have life goals. One was at a Franklin Day Planner seminar, a secular thing. He said you ought to have financial goals, family goals, ministry goals, things you want to do, things you want to accomplish. And Document your vision. Write it down. Create a plan. Harvard Business Review said everybody ought to have a BHAG. A BHAG, B-H-A-G. A big, hairy, audacious goal. I like that. A big, hairy, audacious goal. What is your dream? Let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with holy optimism. There's nothing wrong with spirit-filled enthusiasm. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having some, some aspirations. We need some men and women of initiative. You know, we're living in a day when the men have been so socialized, humanized, and feminized. Look, God made you a man. God put you here to, to accomplish something, to achieve something for the glory of God. And a Christian is not somebody who is passive with all his desires subdued. You know, some places that I think they think that Christians are like Spock on the old Star Trek. Just kind of a... Passionless, emotionless, subhuman, mechanical robot. No. You get a man full of the Holy Ghost and he's got a little animation about him every now and then. I'm just telling you, there's something going on in his heart. There's a, a learning, a churning, a burning. Brother, we need the fire, amen. Oh, oh, Livingston said, I'll go anywhere as long as it's forward. Bacon said, a wise man will make more opportunities than, he's, than he finds. We need men and women with God-instilled vision. You've got to see it in your heart. Now listen, we're going to move toward what we see in our minds because what you see is what you're going to pursue. And if you can see it on the inside of your soul, you can realize it on the outside. The mental photograph that dominates your mind will dictate your behavior. Some of you here, you have a vision to become an evangelist. Some of you have a vision to become a pastor. Uh, some of you uh, have a vision uh, for the people back home where you came. You've got a burden for them. Some of you girls have a vision to become a godly wife and a godly mother. Hallelujah. That's a, that's a proper vision. That's a good vision. Some of you have a vision uh, to minister to children or, 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 or to have a, a recovery, uh, kind of an addiction recovery uh, ministry. Some of you have a vision for soul winning. I mean, whatever it is. 
just get it in your mind. And, and clearly seeing the vision means the acceleration toward the goal. I'm talking about your life mission from God. And I want, I want to help you uh, get started by establishing and documenting your vision. So we got four questions here on the paper right here. We got four questions here. Number one, I want you to, I want you to answer these questions. What goals would I set if I knew I could not fail? By the way, quit looking at your bank account because you don't have one. <laughs> quit looking at your heritage. I mean, quit, quit just what goals would you set if you knew you could not fail? What would you, what would you try to do if you thought you actually might succeed? And take some divinely inspired risk. You know, old David went up against a Goliath. But that was after he had slain a lion and a bear. Now, you've already prayed in the bus. What's next? What's the next thing? Let's move on right here. Let's believe God to pray in the finances. Amen? For, for, for your own uh, uh, school situation. I mean, just, just get out of the boat and go for it. You know, somebody says, well, you shouldn't get married unless you got you know, umpteen thousands of dollars in the bank. And, you know, we'd all be celibate if we uh, went by some of these things. That we did. I mean, just can't take a few risks. Now, now listen, uh, 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 David didn't take a foolhardy risk. He was simply willing to do what other people were unwilling to do. They say that success is the point where preparation meets opportunity. And it's, he killed the lion and the bear. So he was prepared, and he seized the opportunity, and he slew Goliath. Uh, some scores will never attempt anything significant because they're afraid they might fail. You know what the bigger failure is? Not ever trying anything. And I'm not talking about shooting in the dark here. But, but what about Joshua when he marched seven times around Jericho? What about Gideon when he defeated the Midianites with 300 <laughs> People with lamps and trumpets. What about Noah when he prepared an ark though it had never ever rained? What about Naaman who had leprosy and he, and, and he obeyed the instruction of a prophet and he dipped in the Jordan River and his leprosy disappeared? All of these men did exactly what God told them to do and you're never going to progress beyond the point, of your, the, the point of your last disobedience. Let's just do the next thing. Let's just walk in the light. Scores of people refuse to venture out into the unknown. We, we, want, we want it all secure. We want it all certain. And the kingdom of God isn't like that. God might tell you to do something that makes no sense whatsoever from a human point of view. Get out of the pit of logic and, get, and move on to the palace of faith. And if you've got something burning in your heart, can I just tell you, in Jesus' name, go for it. Some of you guys got a heart for revival. We're believing God for outpourings of the Holy Spirit all across the country. We're going to see things we've never seen before. I'm just here to tell you, go for it. Don't let, don't let some dispensationalist, hyper-dispensationalist talk you out of it. Don't let some hyper-Calvinist uh, talk you out of it. And, and by the way, let's just go with the Scripture. And let's don't reason from a deduction to the Scripture. Let's go with the Scripture and then come up with some deductions after that. Just keep it in that order. You'll come out all right. Now, now, now listen. Uh, don't overanalyze everything. My children, some of them especially, are analysts. Just 
Quit analyzing and go do the next thing. Hudson Taylor said this, many Christians estimate difficulties in light of their own resources. Many Christians estimate difficulties in light of their own resources and thus attempt little and often fail in the little they do attempt. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and his presence being with them. What would you try to do if you thought you might succeed? Number two, what inspires, captivates, and dominates your thinking? What inspires, captivates, and dominates your thinking? What do you think about? There's some clues to help you discern your assignment. What are you interested in? In your heart of hearts, what is your greatest desire? If everybody on the planet got paid $10 an hour for doing whatever they did, what would you be doing? I, I mean, what, what do you want to accomplish in life? Listen to your spirit-filled desires. Now, um, here's some clues to help you discover your personal vision. What causes you to smile? What brings joy to your heart? You know, I said it in a meeting the other day. Man, that guy got up there from the revival and he was just talking about the revival. And I sat over in the corner, wept through the whole thing. Every time I get around something like this, it does something for me. What causes you to smile? And by the way, this is out of the box, but holy laughter can be a good thing. Everybody's temperamentally different, eh? And what causes you to laugh? What causes you to smile? What brings joy to your heart? Uh, everybody has favorable qualities. And you can discern your assignment by what other people get as a result of being in your presence. Now, second, not only what causes you to smile, what brings you joy, but here's another clue uh, to uh, discern your assignment. What causes you to weep? You ever weep over young people, brother? Yeah. What causes you to weep? Look, if you can weep over souls, God might use you to win souls. If you can weep over the homeless and the helpless, God might use you to minister to them. If you can weep over revival, God might use you in revival. If you can weep over your family, God will use you in your home. Tears provide a clue as to where God will use you. The things that brings joy to your heart and the things that brings tears to your eyes are clues to your assignment. Number three, what price am I willing to pay? Well, what price am I willing to pay? Look, look, you've got to be willing to step out in faith. You've got to take responsibility for your own life. Listen, David slung one stone at Goliath. God didn't sling the stone. He did. He went out and collected these stones. He put one in that sling there. And he uh, hit the guy right in the forehead and knocked him over. What I'm telling you is this. You've got to take responsibility. David was completely trusting in God, but he picked up the rocks. D.L. Moody said, pray like it's all up to God, work like it's all up to you. That's good theology. Yeah, pray like it's all up to God, work like it's all up to you. Don't spiritualize lazy habits. Aggressively follow up what God leads you to do. Your vision is, is something you pursue. It's not something you observe. When you get the vision... Go for it. You can't expect God to work if you're not. Put your heart in it. Uh, go for it. Your assignment calls for action, achievement, activity, movement, energy. What, what price are you willing to pay? Number four, what sacrifices am I willing to make? What sacrifices am I willing to make? Are you willing to give up other things for this one thing? You know, God wants you to make a mark for God. 
I remember back in Bible college, the president stood up and said, 10 years from now, that young man will be making a mark for God. I remember him saying that. And I want to tell you, you guys are going to be making a mark for God if you'll sacrifice the temporal for the, for the, for the eternal. Joseph sacrificed immediate gratification for a preferred future. And what are you willing to sacrifice in order for your dream to become reality? I think if you answer these four questions, you're, on a long, you're, you're a long ways down the road on writing the vision and making it plain. So here's what we're going to do. Pull out your little uh, blank card. I want you to take about two minutes. Now, look, I know we don't have the whole picture. I know we don't have, we're looking through a glass darkly. But you wouldn't be here in this place if you didn't have some idea of what God has called you to do. You've got some conception. You've got some heart for God. You've got some heart for ministry. Uh, just verbalize in one or two sen sentences. Try to crystallize it. Not an encyclopedia, but like a vision statement, a mission statement. At this point in your life, uh, what is your vision for your life on the planet. What is your assignment based on these questions, based on what we've been talking about here, and just put on your little card right there what you believe your assignment is, what your life mission statement is. Just take, take a minute or two and just uh, uh, write down your life mission. You're not going to get graded on it, so just open your heart here. Okay?